We're coming now to the ordination part of our meeting. We're going to install Todd Santi as another pastor in our church. Uh, that's, this day's been years in the making. <clears throat> and we were talking the other night. We think it was about 10 years ago. It was roughly when, when Todd was just out of high school. Hadn't gone into college yet, I don't think. And we were at some camp, some church camp, and he expressed an interest in becoming a pastor. And so that led to a journey, uh, which included him serving in the church, which he pretty much grew up in anyway, it was already doing, but he had took on more responsibility. He graduated from the Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors College. I see you're wearing a shirt. Very good. <laughs> he completed a year of internship this last June. He passed all of his ordination exams. He received the church's affirmation, both from the elders and from you all, because we sent out a survey. He also has the affirmation of the elders in our region. We're part of a denomination. We have a region where all the, all the elders in our region also vote to affirm whether or not we ordain a new person. And so he received that. And so now we're ready uh, to appoint him to the office of elder or pastor. So here's how we'll do this. First, Pastor Dan is going to speak on behalf of us, the existing elders, uh, commending Todd to this role. And then Tony Walsh, uh, who's the senior pastor of Grace Community Church in Westminster, one of our sister churches. He's going to give his comments on behalf of our region. Normally our regional leader, Eric Terbeski, would be here, but uh, COVID changed everything. So Tony's across town and you're good. You're good to go. You're our Eric today, man. <laughs> okay. After that, I'm going to give a charge from God's Word, and then we'll ask the questions, both of Todd and all of you. So let's begin with Pastor Dan. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Well, I was given the the task to commend Todd, and I... I can't I can't tell the same story that I've told over and over and over about Todd, so I had to come up with something different. <laughs> so I, I thought and thought about it, and I decided to talk a little bit about the reasons that it is right for you to call him pastor. For some of you, that's going to be very easy. In fact, we had to prevent some of you from calling him pastor right after he got out of pastor's college. You know, there were people already saying, oh, Pastor Todd, no, 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 he hasn't been ordained yet. We can't call him Pastor Todd. This is the day that we, we can start calling him Pastor Todd. So I wanted to give you a couple of reasons why it is right that we should call him Pastor. Well, first of all, he has passed the trials. He took the, the exams. He took, he did a lot of uh, reading. He did a lot of um, of. Um, writing papers, and he did some preaching. He also, he also wrote some sermons that were graded and so forth. He went through a year or no, 10 months of uh, the pastor's college. He was an intern here, so uh, he passed all of those uh, steps that we get to bring him now up to the ordination, so he passed the trials. He's also been approved by his local elders, Pastor Mark and myself, and the West Regional Elders, of which Tony's here gonna, is going to represent. And he's also uh, passed um, his local church. 
you all have approved him uh, recently with with uh, some questions that we had and about whether you thought Pastor was or Todd was was able to become a pastor and so forth. But more importantly, he has been sovereignly placed here at this time by a sovereign God. And we're excited that we get to see this next generation of person come into this, this, this job of overseer, this, this, this task to, to shepherd God's people. We're excited about that. Now, despite these reasons, it may still be hard for some to call him pastor. Uh, maybe because you think he's too young or too ex inexperienced. And while yet he is young and inexperienced, those things will pass soon. And he's got the guidance of Pastor Mark and myself to bring him along, bring him up in, 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 in pastoring, in shepherding, in overseeing. And I'll also point back to the, the reasons that we can call him pastors. Just, just now I, I mentioned those. You may have known him for such a long time that it's difficult to address him anything, address him as anything other than Toddy. <laughs> Not that I ever called him that, but I, I imagine families called him that. I usually called him Squirrel or some other name. Uh, in fact, Pastor Mark just recently said, I got to stop calling him boy. He's not a boy anymore. He's a man. <laughs> And certainly for those who are very familiar with Todd, which is most of us, calling him Pastor Todd in every situation is neither necessary nor appropriate. Using the title pastor, like it is with Pastor Mark and Pastor Tony and myself, is a sign of respect. Respect for the position as an overseer, as God's steward, Titus 1.7. Respect for the man as one who is above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 1 Timothy 3.2. So when do I use the title pastor and call him Pastor Todd? Well, there, there is no mandate of when or when not to use the title. But perhaps some instances where it would be appropriate would be like when you're addressing him. Like if you're coming to ask him a spiritual question, or maybe you'd like his input on a, on a Bible text, you, you might say something like, Pastor Todd, can, can I ask you a question? This is kind of preparing him for maybe something spiritual that he needs to address. That versus a question like, hey, Todd, want to come over for game night? Another reason would be when referring or addressing him to others, like in discipleship group. You might say, oh, remember when, when Pastor Todd taught about being kind to others and loving your neighbor? So you're showing respect to others by calling him Pastor Todd. It's no sin if you forget to call him pastor, but it does demonstrate your respect when you do use it appropriately. I, for one, am grateful to God that he has given us someone like, like Todd, someone from the next generation that we can call pastor. And I'm excited to be able to do that. All right. Tony?
Oh, Toddy. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I, I now got some insight, and I have a new name, and it will be used carefully but appropriately. <laughs> you know, the, the Apostle Paul, instructing Timothy on uh, identifying and setting in or ordaining elders in local churches, said this. This is 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The aspiring and desire to serve as an overseer, which is also the role of an elder in the local church, is something that the Holy Spirit actually works into a man that Jesus Christ has given to the church to be a shepherd, a pastor among them. When the Apostle Paul was addressing the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, he reminded them that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So on one hand, your elders and you as a local church today are, are simply recognizing the call of God on Todd and attesting to his gifting and readiness to serve in this role. But we're also needing to acknowledge today that it is the Holy Spirit today that is uh, making him to be a pastor among you. Uh, and that is a significant recognition, I think. It, we're not doing this. The Holy Spirit is doing this. This is a means through that and formalizing that, but we're just recognizing what God has done. So one hand, that's, that, that's what we need to see. The Spirit of God is doing this. And God has is, is blessed this church. He is now blessing this church by giving Todd to you today as another elder among you. As you heard, he is young, and he's still growing, and I hope us old guys are still growing as well. But he's also gifted. He's called. And from the many testimonies that I've heard about him, he is spiritually mature and ready to serve in this office. I've actually heard glowing reports from his in-laws, which is really to be prized, Toddy. Uh, we've heard glowing reports of, of how you are growing in your love and your leadership of your wife, and, and you're soon to be a father. Uh, that is awesome. But I've also heard from your elders who have attested not only to us uh, as fellow elders uh, here in Colorado, but to our whole region. They have attested to your character, humility, and servant's heart. God is adding to your plurality of eldership. That, that is a wonderful thing. That is healthy for this eldership. It is healthy for your church. And I would say it is healthy for our region of churches when we see another church growing and getting established with, with gifted called men to serve it. Uh, what a gift. Now, in Sovereign Grace churches, it is the, the local church eldership that ordains elders, uh, additional elders, into that local church. But one of the privileges and blessings of being a part of Sovereign Grace churches is that as local churches, we don't do that alone. Our regional council of elders also has a role in affirming a man's calling by voting as a region to accept that man into our council of elders, which we have done unanimously. 
not only that, we have a ordination committee to which your senior pastor, Mark, is overseeing that committee. Um, and that committee also tests the knowledge, as you've heard, uh, of the ordination candidate, as well as their ability to apply the Word of God and the Gospel to various pastoral situations, and Todd passed that with flying colors. So it's my honor to participate in this glorious uh, moment with you all and in, with Todd through the laying on of hands to see you set in as an elder. But not only on behalf of my local church and our eldership, because we we're rejoicing with you all, but also on behalf representing Sovereign Grace Churches here among you. So with that, I will turn it over to Mark. Thanks, Tony and Dan, for expressing what has been in our hearts uh, for a long time and how we're, we're looking forward to this day. If you have a Bible, I ask you to turn into it to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read from verses 28 to 32. And this passage uh, that we'll be reading is an excerpt from Paul's last meeting with the elders of Ephesus. He was on his way to Jerusalem, didn't want to stay in Ephesus, so we met him at another place. And it was his final charge to those elders. He knew he wouldn't see him again. He wanted to impart a few important things. This is what you need to remember. This is how you're going to lead your church well. I'm never going to see you again, so this is the most important thing I want you to remember. So we're going to read a part of that. And uh, even though it's directed from one elder to another elder, it is about the church ultimately. It's about the church that we care for. And so I'm going to be address addressing my, my comments mainly to Todd, but overhear the conversation as if you were overhearing Paul's conversation and think about how it affects you as a church. So let's read from verses 28 to 32. To the elders of Ephesus and to Todd. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, Remember, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let me just pray. Oh Lord, I pray impact that those words on Todd and me and Dan and Tony, but also all of us. There's a great picture here, a great vision of 
of the church, and we ask that we could see it and remember its importance and be encouraged about your plans for us. I ask it in Jesus' name. This pastor says so much about the role of the pastor, and so we could spend a lot of time describing, you know, what I'm supposed to do, what you're supposed to do. But I know that you've been taught well on that, so you don't need to rehearse those things. Uh, so rather, I was thinking about what to preach from this text, and I, I felt burdened by the Lord to just point out three things for you to remember, Todd, as you embark on the journey of pastoring God's people. Three, three realities that really are essential for us to do this, to do it well, and to last in it. So let me walk through those things. The first thing to remember is, is God's heart for his church. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So be vigilant. Um, keep your eye out. Be watchful. Um, beginning with yourself, and we'll come back to that later, what that looks like. But particularly over the flock, be, be vigilant over the flock. Um, see over them, which is what an overseer does. So that's the charge. But this charge only makes sense if we know why the flock must be watched. And, and here's why. It's to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's a statement of the preciousness of the church to God. God obtained the church. He, he gained it for himself. He purchased it at the highest cost that the universe could ever see, which is the very life of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's 1 Peter 3.18. That, that's what his mission in this world was, to, to obtain a people and to bring them back to God in friendship, to be enjoyed forever. But that was costly. For us and for our salvation, the Father and the Son and the Spirit agreed together to this plan that God would take on flesh in the person of Jesus, live a sinless life, and then Jesus would subject himself to the punishment that we deserve. He would go through the injustice of the mocking and the false accusations and the sham trials and the, and the spitting upon all that humiliation, he would go through that. He would be subjecting himself to being beaten with rods, scourged with a whip, torn apart. And then he would be subjected to the agony, the horror of being staked to a piece of wood where you hang until you die publicly. And most painfully, he would experience the mental anguish of being separated from his father. That's what God was willing to do to obtain the church. That's the measure of his love for his bride. So when he says to pastors, be or pay 
be alert, pay, pay careful attention to. He's saying, take care of her. Take care of my bride. Because <laughs> she's precious. And Paul doesn't mean the universal church there, which is all believers everywhere from all time. He means the church that these elders pastor, the one in Ephesus. That's the church that Jesus obtained with his blood. Yes, he did obtain the universal church as well, but he's talking to these guys in a specific place and time. And he says that, that group of people, that's who Jesus obtained. And so we can say this here in this parking lot, and who will watch it on video later. That's who Jesus obtained. This, this, us, is who he loves and died for to produce this gathering and thousands of other ones. But the pastor's only concerned with the one that he's told us to care for. This is a perspective about the church that we need to motivate our care. That it's the beloved of God. That it's his precious bride. We need to see our people as God's beloved. Even when, or even especially when, that's hard to do. Which it will be sometimes. When you preach your heart out on a Sunday, you spend 20 hours on your sermon and you receive no encouragement. Or worse, when somebody comes up to you afterwards and tells you about the great sermon on that same text that this other guy preached. No, no word about one you just preached. Or maybe hardest of all, when you get criticism instead. It can be hard to love the church like Jesus does when you pour hours, days, weeks, maybe even years into somebody's life counseling them and then they do the exact opposite of what you hoped for. Or when you see no apparent fruit from your labors where you don't seem to be making a difference. Or when someone turns on you because of slander that they heard and they received it as truth. Every pastor will experience those things. And we are imperfect men caring for an imperfect people. But over that is this reality. This is the beloved of God that he obtained with his own blood. It is a great honor to be given that responsibility to care for those people, to care for you. So we need to remember that. The second thing to remember is the threat that the church faces. There's a threat. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's the threat. It's the, it's the, it's the ideas that are planted in the minds of people that are contrary to Scripture, that, that lead people away from Christ and to someone else away from the Savior, away from the fountain of living water, over to some cistern, some broken cistern that holds no water. And these ideas 
come from two sources, Paul says. There's wolves coming in, so from outside the church. And then there's our own selves within the church who rise up speaking twisted things. Twisted things are, are things that are truthful enough to sound right, but they're twisted into another shape. They're out of balance and they're no longer what God intended. And so it gets a little traction in hearts and then maybe more and more traction over time. It gets a following and little by little it draws disciples away from Jesus and onto some false hope. If you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, there's a great illustration of this. Christian and hopeful are having a rough go of their journey on the way to the celestial city. And they see a gate and they see another path that is running parallel to the direction they're going. And they think, well, that looks like it's going in the same direction. It's also going to the celestial city. And then ahead on that road, they see a cloaked figure in going that direction. And they think, okay, uh, that's the way to go. And this other path is easier. This one we're on is hard. So let's take that one. It's going the same way. So they go through the gate. They go onto that path. They follow the figure up ahead. But as the story goes, that figure starts slowly turning them farther and farther away from the celestial city. They end up in deep trouble. They end up getting cast into Doubting Castle and enslaved by giant despair. And that's a picture of being drawn away by twisted things. Things that are not according to Christ. What, what God wants for his people is to be set free, and the truth sets us free. It's not always easy. <laughs> the truth is hard to follow sometimes. It doesn't seem easy, but it's way better being imprisoned in the dungeon of despair, which is where you will end up if you walk away from Jesus, sooner or later, either in this life or the next. And so pastors have to Keep on the straight road. Keep speaking into that. That's why the ability to teach is one of our qualifications. We have to feed people on the word of God, which is truth. One of the realities of our digital age is that now wolves and men speaking twisted things have an easier access to the flock than ever before. Uh, I was reading an article recently that said this, podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. Now, that number sounds high to me, but even if it's half of that, here's the reality. Somebody is speaking into your life 45 to 90 hours a week, and your pastor maybe gets one hour and zero if you don't even go to church. That's a lot of words, many of which are twisted. And it's enough to make a pastor throw up his hands and go like, how can I compete with that flood? That digital flood that is discipling people. It's, it's shaping our worldview and telling us how to think about everything. 45 to 90 hours a week, you're being discipled by this. That is a real threat. And so there's got to be a place for the pastor to speak truth into your life. And that's sobering 
sobering responsibility. And we might think there's no way that I can compete with the well-packaged message that's out there. What I've got is my notes, and you know me, and this doesn't seem very interesting. But this, this very thing where the Word of God is opened, that is the doorway to freedom. And the pastor has to be there over and over and over again. Because it points us to the life, the source of life, Jesus, the fountain of living waters. But it is daunting to think about. And so that's why you need to remember the last thing, which is where the strength comes from to serve. Or maybe what I should say is where the hope is (laughs) ultimately in our service. Verse 32 I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To commend means to entrust or to hand over to, to someone or something. And in the case of pastors, it means being entrusted to God and to the gospel which is the word of God's grace. I commend you to God, he says. That's a reminder that Jesus is the real chief shepherd. He hasn't left the scene. He's not visible, but he is with us by his spirit, and he is building his church. He is not so foolish as to leave it totally in the hands of guys like us. You know, he's on site. (laughs) And so that is a great relief to the pastor to know that we are commended God is with us. God is among us. God is doing this. It doesn't, at the end of the day, come down to our gifting or our ability to say the right thing at the right time. The Holy Spirit is building His church. And that is a great comfort to know. (laughs) When you're thinking 90 hours versus my 40 minutes, how can that ever make any difference? Well, it can because God is sovereign. And he says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the hand you want to be in. God's hand. And he's with us. He's the chief shepherd. So we're going to be vessels to try and point you to that reality. But he's the reality behind the words. We are called to be faithful, but we're not called to be anyone's savior. I think the best advice I ever got was the words of John the Baptist relating to pastoral ministry. John 1.20, he said, I am not the Christ. <laughs> Only Jesus is, and he will build his church. So we are entrusted to God in this, but we are also entrusted to the gospel. I commend you to the word of grace, the word of God's grace. That's another way of Paul saying the word of this gospel, that Jesus Christ in him crucified. And notice that he doesn't say he's entrusting the gospel to them. Though we are gospel preachers, we do have a trust to preach it. But he says, I entrust you to the gospel. You to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So this isn't the gospel for the congregation. This is the gospel for the pastors. You can't do this job if you aren't getting your soul regularly encouraged by God's grace to you. 
apart from your pastoral ministry, apart from your fruitfulness or your effectiveness, apart from any encouragement that you get from anybody, uh, we have to be built up on God's love for us as his adopted sons, not as pastors. Our identity cannot be wrapped up in our ministry. It's our, it's our labor we give our life to. The, our identity is in Jesus. And if we don't have that, if we don't have our souls happy in that, we can't necessarily pass that on to our church very effectively. It's like you can't pass on a disease that you don't have, is what I've heard, right? So uh, I guess that's pretty relevant in COVID world right now. Um, but it has to be in our own heart too. We've got to be drinking from that well, not just handing out cups of water, but we have to drink from this word of grace because pastoral ministry is hard. And it's going to expose all of your weaknesses and you're going to come face to face regularly with your inadequacies. And it's very tempting, very tempting to become very gloomy, very introspective, very aware of all the things that I'm doing wrong and then want to quit or maybe want to like, okay, I'm going to do this thing better and then try to atone for our sin by doing better. We can just go all over the place away from the gospel for ourselves. The church needs pastors whose souls are happy in God. Tim Keller paraphrased Romans 1.17 this way for pastors. Romans 1.17. He said, he who, is, he who by faith is righteous will live, but he who by his sermons is righteous will die every weekend. <laughs> I tell you what, that is truth. You cannot, you cannot get your hope from your sermons or how well you think they went. It has to be from Christ. It has to be from our acceptance by grace through faith, period. Not by our pastoring. That's the word of grace that will build you up and give you an inheritance. So those three things, Todd, remember God's heart for his people, the threats they face, and the grace of God that sustains you. If you keep those things in, in view, you will do well, and you will be a good servant of Christ and his church. So let's transition to the ordination. I want you to come up here, Todd. We've got some questions to ask you. Dan, if you can make your way up here too. And Tony, if you're not, Tony's actually got to preach at his church this morning. So uh, we're watching the clock for his sake. <laughs> can you make it through the prayer time, Tony? You got, you get, all right. <laughs> Hold on to this very hot microphone. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you some questions, then I'm going to ask the church some questions. And then after that, we're going to lay hands on you and officially commission you to the work. So Todd, here they are. Here's the questions. Do you promise to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being example to the flock. Yes. Do you promise to faithfully guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer? And do you promise to protect that flock from false teaching, division, and dissension? Yes. Do you promise to care for the flock of God, not as a hireling, but as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, caring for his sheep as the precious ones for whom he died. 
Yes. Do you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and this congregation, promise to preach the word in season and out of season? And do you promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, enduring suffering, while remaining sober-minded in all of your preaching and teaching? And will you do the work of an evangelist among those whom God has given you this charge? Yes. Do you declare sincerely before God that you believe all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith that, that fully agree with the Scriptures? Do you own that statement, of, that statement as the statement and confession of your faith? And do you promise to teach and defend these doctrines in public and in private? Yes. Do you promise further that if in the future you come to have reservations about any of these doctrines, you will share these reservations with your eldership and the regional assembly of elders? Yes. Do you promise to keep a close watch on yourself and to walk humbly before others, to be self-suspicious of your own motives, to invite criticism from others, and to make yourself accountable to those whom God has put in your life? Yes. Do you submit without exception to the explicitly mandated practices of the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, affirming that that form of government is a wise and suitable application of scriptural principles? Yes. Do you promise to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to show yourself in all respects, in action and in speech, to be a model of good works, integrity and dignity? so that neither the church nor the Savior, or Savior Jesus Christ nor the gospel may be brought into reproach. Yes. Do you promise to continually seek the gifts of the Spirit, that you might serve God's people, not in the energy of the flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, and to carry out your ministry without fear of man? Yes. Five so questions for, for you, congregation. Do you, the people of Sovereign Grace Church, receive Todd Santee as your pastor? Yes. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from him with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due biblical exercise of his leadership? Yes. Do you promise to supply him with whatever material support he may need to fulfill his ministry among you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his ministry and leadership for your spiritual edification, the evangelization of the lost, and the promotion of God's glory? Yes. Excellent. We're going to pray Excellent. for you, Todd. Yes. <laughs> We're going to pray for you now. I was thinking, uh, Dan, how about you first, then Tony, and then I'll close. Todd, I want to commend to you and pray over you 2 Timothy 4.2, which says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen him through the Holy Spirit, guide him, Bless him, bless us all through his, his gifting, Father God, that you have provided him, 
and the guidance that you're giving him and us through him, Father God. We pray that you would continue to show your love for him through your word, in Jesus' name. Lord, I firstly want to pray according to your, the instructions that Paul gave Timothy to watch his life and doctrine closely. Lord, would you guard this young man? Uh, I, all testimonies point to the fact that he's doing that now, but Lord, may he continue in the power of your spirit to be humble, circumspect, and accountable Firstly, uh, in his relationship with his wife, then to the men he serves with, but ultimately to you. Lord, I pray he could walk with you, watching his life closely. That he could guard the doctrine, the good doctrine, the gospel that has been handed over to him and uh, given to him, firstly by you, by the Holy Spirit, that he could guard that in his heart. And then, Lord, I just pray for an anointing since you are the one who makes a man to be an elder, a shepherd amongst your people. Anoint him, Father, for the task. Empower him, Lord, today. I pray he would, he would just know this. He's been working towards this day for a long time. But today he would sense your anointing falling upon him to serve your people and to lay his life down for them in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We do, we do commend you, commend Todd to you, Lord. I thank you so much that your grace is sufficient in our weakness yes. <laughs> and that you will never leave or forsake us. And you will not leave or forsake Todd in this ministry. We thank you for all the signs along the way of how you, you equipped him and how you are providing for him all along the way, even a new job. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for that, Lord. We see all these signs of your favor on his life. And we, we do still say every day we need your grace. He will need your grace. But we thank you that you've promised it. You are with us. You will be with him. And so may he feel that. May he know that. Uh, may he have many of the encouragements also, those day-by-day -day things, uh, those signs that are not, not necessary but certainly very helpful. So we pray that there would be a lot of those and keep him from the evil one. Increase his understanding and knowledge day-by-day, year-by-year, effectiveness. And thank you for already the deposit that you put in his life and that makes him qualified for this. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe we should maybe we should applause or something like that. <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> okay, we actually have some gifts to give. So Dan is gonna present those. All right, we've got a couple of gifts that we want to give him. The first is this beautiful, uh, nicely framed. I have to say, we, uh, Mark and I didn't get a frame like this. Uh, we, Tony, we want to let the regional know that. Yeah, you didn't get one? Okay. 
Well, this is the certificate of ordination has been signed and so forth. So this is you. for you, Todd. You. Yep. We also have a gift from this, this gray pa uh, package here is from the region. A gift to you from them. And then a card from uh, your church, your local church, uh, which contains a gift card to Tejas de Brazil. Yeah, y'all like that. And that's for, for you and Becca. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. Yeah. Those who don't know what Dan just meant by Tejas de Brazil, that's this amazing restaurant where you can eat all the meat that your body can contain, and which is a very good thing for Todd to, to, to enjoy that in his future. So, but anyway, that's a gift from the church of our love for you. The, the package is another amazing smelling real leather Bible which has uh, from, from the region. There's something in there. It's got the date in it. It's got your name in it. So uh, enjoy that. So Todd, do you want to say a few things yeah. in response? I would. Thank you, Mark. Um, first of all, I love you, church. <laughs> and um, thank you. I am... Uh, I was thinking about what to say this morning, and um, the three things that came to mind was I'm, I'm humbled, I'm terrified, and I'm grateful. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm humbled because um, for many, many of you have been investing in me over the past 20 years in this church. Um, and I've been looking up to you as, as faithful saints, uh, helping, helping guide me in the right direction um, toward the celestial city. Um, and now it is humbling that you would entrust yourselves to God to have me lead as one of your pastors. I have no idea the amount of faith that must take <laughs> on your part. So I am, I'm, I'm humbled. Um, but I'm also terrified because the, the calling is high. Um, uh, when Paul talks about those who preach the word, he says, um, he says we, are, we, are, we are an aroma. We are an aroma of Christ to God. To those who are being saved, it's from life to life. But to those who are perishing, it's from death to death. And he says, who is sufficient for these things? And I say, not me. <laughs> I'm with you, Paul. But he says, our sufficiency is not from ourselves. It is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of his word. So um, I'm, I'm terrified, but I, I look to, I need the spirit. So pray for me. <laughs> the spirit would enable me to serve faithfully. And then finally, I am, I'm grateful I'm grateful for the investment again that you guys have made over the past 20 years. Some, some less than that, but still your, your investment in me over these years. And, um, and um, I don't feel at all intimidated by being young. Um, I, um, I know Paul told Timothy to not let anyone look down upon him because he's young. I don't feel like I have that problem because that's not me. That's, that's you as a church affirming uh, God's call in my life. And so I'm grateful to God for all of his provision, his calling, the affirmation from you all, and the way he's made you a part of that. And um, please see today as just another evidence of God's love for this church, his love for you, um, the fact that he is at work in our little church. Um, so thank you. I love you, and I'm excited to be called your pastor. So thank you, church.